0: Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Please,
1: stop! I got a bad feeling about this. Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
0: Did you go out with Ray? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother.
1: Get away from her, you bitch! You better need a bigger boat. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. all out of bubble. Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of the Movie Nights Podcast. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And we are back for the third installment of our series. Thank you for everyone who is listening. We're gonna go ahead and uh, start off today with a bit of movie news from last week. Uh, Obviously we don't have all the movie headlines from last week because it's an entire week and you know that's just a lot of work and I'm not gonna lie we are pretty lazy over here so we picked out just a couple of our favorites and we're going to talk about them today on the show and just sort of give our two cents on the bit of information so we're just going to go ahead and start off right away here this report comes from the Hollywood Reporter saying that Jared Leto is to star in Sony's Spider-Man spin-off movie Morbius about Morbius a living vampire for those of you familiar with comic books with Daniel Espinosa to direct for those of you who don't know Daniel Espinosa directed safe house with ryan reynolds a few years ago and he directed life uh last year um and for those of you who might be confused like wait a spider-man spinoff like what what are you talking about uh ryan go ahead and explain to them what they what what that means
0: yeah so he's basically going to get his own movie but with the spider-man spinoff it's gonna take place in the venom universe with sony and how it it may be a little confusing, especially since Marvel is kind of using the Spider-Man character in their universe. Uh, Sony's kind of making and building their own universe with Venom is actually going to be the first movie to start that off. And Mm -hmm. it looks like now Jared Leto is going to get his own movie in that same Venom-Sony universe that's separate from the MCU.
1: Yes, because Sony's technically still owns the rights to the Spider-Man character in terms of film producing distribution. They just have a deal with Marvel to let Marvel use the actual character of Spider-Man, which that deal actually going to expire after Avengers, I believe, or the next Spider-Man movie. I, I can't remember the, the next Spider-Man movie after the next Spider-Man yeah, movie, after yeah. Far From Home. That deal expires, which yeah. I think they'll extend the deal, but we can have and hold a whole another episode talking about like the ifs and, and ands and it. yeah, yeah. But uh, beyond yeah, great explanation, so um, Sony has been somewhat serious in this universe, obviously with the marketing for Venom starting to get ramped up in the recent weeks and also for uh, they had a silver and black movie listed on their label to come out but it was been pulled off the release schedule and when people asked why they were just like oh it, it's still happening we just have a different release date you know we're hiring writers making sure everything's going to happen correctly with it which if, if that's actually the case then good on them you know they don't want to rush anything because while they have made hits with the Spider-Man characters they've also made some duds Yeah, which obviously they want to avoid.
0: Yeah and On the silver and black, them pulling that back, it actually has me a little bit more excited for it, because it shows that they are going to invest their time in it, Mm -hmm. and they're really going to take this seriously, and with the Venom movie, I'm beyond excited about it, because I love Tom Hardy, and Venom's probably one of my favorite comic book characters.
1: I agree, I'm very excited about him. I'm also cautiously excited, because there are parts of the trailer that I didn't really like, in terms of, like, dialogue was very Mm -hmm. weird, but Tom Hardy is notorious for being very picky when it comes to the scripts he does, so hopefully that's the case, and he picked a script that he thought was very, very well done. And also, I think, just me personally, this is speculation, I think that them pulling Silver and Black off their release schedule is also them, like, let's let's see how Venom does. Like, let's, let's not pull a dark universe here and announce 17 movies over the course of eight years and then have The Mummy come out and fail miserably and then be like, oh, now we look like idiots. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you, Universal. So... Yeah, uh, I'm glad that they're sort of avoiding that potential train wreck. And also, depending on the success of Venom... Actually, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Depending on the success of Venom, if they want to take Spider-Man back after Far From Home, they could easily just pull Spider-Man and put him in this pocket universe. With Tom Holland? If they wanted to. Because I know Tom Holland has three standalone Spider-Man films on his contract, Mm -hmm. but only two of them are part of the deal with Marvel.
0: Hmm, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, because his last Marvel movie on contract is Avengers Four. Okay. So yeah, and uh, if for those of you who don't believe us and think all oh, these guys are making this up, you can look up look up some information for yourselves. I don't have the sources on me at the moment, but I assure you, we're not bullshitting you. Yeah,
0: the whole Sony and Marvel contract with Spider Man or the deal they have is just there's so so many details to it, and it's a very mm-hmm. complex deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't have the sources on us, so if you want to look it up, feel free.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also um, that wasn't supposed to be public knowledge about the deal ending at that time because Amy Pascal sort of let it leak because she's Amy Pascal and she's the worst. But uh, yeah. I remember because like it, it was hilarious when you'd watch the, when Homecoming was coming out when you'd watch the press tours with Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal. And she would always, like, say a bunch of information that clearly people were not supposed to know. And Kevin Feige's face would be like, what are you doing? So just for everyone listening, uh, who's Amy Pascal? Amy Pascal is one of the head producers at Sony. She used to have a much higher position, but when the email hacks came out, she said some things that shouldn't have been said. And she was demoted, but she still works over there. And she especially runs the Spider-Man-esque division of things. And for those of you who don't know, the email hacks in 2017 or late 2016—it was 2016— they, or when I say they, uh, an organization leaked a bunch of emails from Sony mm-hmm. and a lot of them were very, not criminalizing, but just, you saw the true colors of certain people at the company and a lot of people were very turned off by that. And that's one of the reasons why Amy Pascal was demoted. Um, but that's who Amy Pascal is. For those of you who don't know who Kevin Feige is, he is the president of Marvel over at the MCU, you know, probably doing great work. Yeah. You know, doing the Lord's work and, uh. But yeah, that's pretty much going on with them. Uh, going back to Jared Leto and Morbius, are you excited for him to play this character? And just what are your overall thoughts on Jared, Jared Leto's potential take?
0: Uh, I'm very excited for it because he doesn't really play big headline movies, or he doesn't play, like, big blockbuster movies or, like, comic book movies, really, other than Suicide Squad Um It's interesting to see him take on these more, like, he's being more ambitious with his career now, and I think he's a great actor, starting to become one of the best actors that are working right now, and it's going to be interesting to see him play a different comic book character other than the Joker. I mean, he didn't really get a lot of screen time in suicide squad and that's a very controversial movie with how they made that movie and everything yeah, that yeah. went on behind the scenes. Yeah. And
1: Jared Leto, like, like you said, he's, he's an Oscar winner. Like the dude's a fantastic actor he and he's just talented on many levels because he has the 30 seconds to Mars that he sings for too. really talented guy. And uh, I agree that we didn't get to see a lot of him play the Joker, but I'm glad they're letting him kind of be in the DC mm-hmm. EU, EU universe and they're letting him be in the Sony Marvel universe. I think that's very cool. Yeah. And because uh, he, he said that he's going to play Joker again over on DC. So, um, I mean, there's going to be him and then Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but that's a whole other conversation that we'll, we'll get into another day. But yeah. uh, I'm also very excited. I, I think that... He, and what I'm actually excited for is this dude's, like, a weird method actor, so I can't wait for all the insane stories from the set of Morbius of, like... Especially the, it,
0: since he's, like, a vampire, so yeah. it's gonna be, yeah. like, it, it's gonna be interesting to listen to that. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm very, very excited. I, I, I'll be, you know, cautiously excited, kind of like I am for Venom, mm-hmm. and it will also depend on if Venom, if Venom's, if I really love Venom, then I'll be more excited. So I'm kind of have to wait and see, but my initial thoughts, initial reactions, I'm really excited with the news.
0: Yeah, I am too, although I'm not going to lie, I don't really know much about Morbius, Um, so I'd have to look more into the character. All I know is that he is a a vampire, and he's... Is he an anti-hero, or more of like a true villain?
1: He's more of like a true villain, but... With the Venom movie, they're making Venom more of an antihero going off of the Lethal Protector comic books, so they might do the same with Morbius, or but I, I have no idea. Like, literally all I know about that movie is that Jared Leto's in it and Daniel Espinoza is directing yeah, I it. Yeah, that's all that they've released about it. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, but, I mean, he was in one of the video games. I don't remember which video game, but I remember fighting Morbius in one of the video games. Yeah, I'll have to and look it, him up. And it was, it was pretty cool. All right, we're going to go ahead and go on to our next big news story. And this one comes out of Variety.
0: Which I know that you're excited about this, um, but this comes from Indiana Jones is actually going to miss the 2020 release date. Um, Like we talked about previously, you're a huge Steven Spielberg fan. uh, That includes all the Indiana Jones movies, except for Kingdom of the Colossal fail. (laughs) Um, But how do you feel about that, that it's going to
1: miss the 2020 release date? I mean... It's not really... because it's, it's not for... Basically, the reason it's going to miss is because... The, and this new story is tied in with the second new story we have, which is from Collider, saying that um, it's hired Jonathan Kasdan, who wrote Solo, a Star Wars story, to write the new Indiana Jones movie. And then Variety is reporting that it's going to miss its 2020 release date. Part of the reason is because there are many key players who haven't signed on to a finished script because they just hired Jonathan Kasdan. And part of it is just because Steven Spielberg is so damn busy. I mean he's Steven Spielberg and he's said many times that he wants to do Indiana Jones 5. He even publicly said it at like um some award show in the UK. But uh he really wants to get going and I think it's in pre-production on his remake of West Side Story, mm-hmm. which I'm stoked for because it's Steven Spielberg doing West Side Story. But yeah. uh but naturally I I really want to see Indiana Jones back on the screen cuz if it if it misses its 2020 release date, I think Harrison Ford's going to be like 78 when that movie comes out. So I don't know. He's getting a a, a little up there in age. Yeah, just just slightly, right?
0: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see him that old and cracking a whip still. So, it'll be fun still because it's gonna be Indiana Jones and those are like pure adventure movies.
1: So yeah, yeah. I I agree, and I and like I said, I I really want to see this movie happen. And if it has to miss its 2020 release date to be good and not rushed, then great. Just. My where my worry comes into it is Harrison Ford and him being almost 80 years old because I don't want to watch Indiana Jones if it's him very reserved doing nothing. I mean, obviously, they can still make a great movie out of that, but obviously, expectation going in is I want to see Indiana Jones whip and shoot some fools, you know what I mean, especially hitting some Nazis just because that's so awesome. Yeah. Like, and that's the biggest appeal about, like, the, the Indiana Jones movies is, you know, just fighting Nazis. Like, you don't get to see many movie heroes just kicking the shit out of Nazis, and it's so much fun to watch, you know?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, But how do you feel about the solo script writer Mm. penning the Indiana Jones movie?
1: Well, Jonathan Kasdan, he's the son of Lawrence Kasdan, who co-wrote Solo, but he also wrote Empire Strikes Back. He he was one of the writers on the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he co-wrote Force Awakens with J.J. Abrams. It's like the family's full of good writers, but all I know about of Jonathan Kasdan, he may have done other work before this. I didn't look it up, but I know that he co-wrote Solo Mm -hmm. and I don't hate Solo. I think Solo is a very fine, very fun adventure movie. It was, it was fine, but I'm just worried that maybe Jonathan is a little in a Jonathan. Like he's my best friend, first name basis (laughs) that he might be a little bit over his head just because I'm not familiar. I know his father's an excellent writer, and I like Solo, which he, he apparently had a helping hand in, but I don't know I don't know his capabilities, so I don't know if he's ready to take on Indiana Jones movie. Obviously if Steven Spielberg and Lucasfilm feel that he's ready to do it. And that
0: should say a lot about his character and his writing ability.
1: Yeah. So right now I'm gonna take the benefit of the doubt and trust them and just see uh what he has, you know. And I think this movie can sort of be his his defining moment of, okay, this is the kind of writer that Jonathan Casson is. And it's going to depend on Indiana Jones five, which is also kind of cool to think about. Like it, it makes you, it makes me just as someone who is a creator myself, it's, it's very, I'm eager to see like, all right, what's this, what's this guy have? Mm-hmm. What is he going to show me?
0: And going off of that, I think it's uh, going to give him more time to really get into the script and make it good versus, Oh, it has to come out in 2020. Like, I have to get this script done. And it, it gives them time to
1: really focus on the script. Yeah. And hopefully Lucasfilm has learned. And hopefully they just come out and announce that they've moved the release date. That, that's what I, that's, I would feel much better if Lucasfilm just came out and said, hey, the release date's been moved to 2021, 2022, whatever. Because they had to have learned from Solo when they shot 80% of the movie, fired the directors, hired a new one reshot most of the movie and didn't move the release date yeah and that's one of the reasons why it didn't do financially great i mean there's many reasons as to why i'm not saying that's the only reason yeah but one of the many reasons is because they had a may release date and they just would not move it and everyone in the business was like they should probably move that release date and they just they never did
0: you just gotta learn from your mistakes but uh, switching gears from movie news to the uh, next topic we want to bring up is the box office rundown. So go ahead and uh, give us the rundown of this past weekend's movies, Dalton.
1: Of course, of course. L- last weekend, box office numbers go as followed. Coming in at number one is Jurassic World Falling Kingdom, which made $60 million. And it dropped about 58% from its opening weekend, but that's, that's pretty normal for movies. And uh, coming in at second place was Incredibles Two, which only dropped forty-two percent from its previous weekend, and it made forty-six million uh, last weekend. And coming in at number three was a new release, Sicario: Day of the Soldado, which made nineteen opened to nineteen million, which is actually pretty great because its budget was thirty-five million, so it's it's going to make that money back as it keeps going. And it was expected to open at around nine because I think that's where the first one opened up. But of course, the first one also opened in like limited first and then wide release because it, yeah. it was an Oscar contender. And then Uncle Drew came in at number four, making 15 million, which also overperformed. Uh, I think that the studio was expecting around five or six, so that also overperformed a bit. And then coming in at number five, and the top five rounding out the top five was Ocean's Eight, which made eight. Haha. <laughs> million dollars last weekend and it dropped 27 percent from its previous weekend so it's it's been it's got legs it's been people have been going to see it
0: and that's actually a really fun movie i've seen all the oceans movies oh, of course i'm talking about the uh, george clooney ocean movies um because for those of you who don't know there was an original oceans 11 with frank sinatra but the oceans movies are, are a lot of fun and i highly suggest anyone who's interested in like heist movies go see it because i i think they're great especially oceans 8 and it it definitely uh, lives off of the remakes with George Clooney, and it's fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've heard it was a really fun movie. I'm, I haven't had the chance to personally see it yet. Yeah. But, uh, and here's just some more bit of box office information that I thought you would find it very interesting. Its domestic total from The Two Weekends is now at 265699530 But are you ready for its worldwide total? Yeah. Are you sure?
0: Yeah. Worldwide,
1: with its domestic, has made nine hundred and thirty-four million dollars, eight hundred ninety-nine thousand five hundred thirty. It is a stone throw away from a billion dollars.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and it, part of it is because it opened a few weeks early overseas, because mm-hmm. they Universal knows how popular that you know the dinosaur movies are overseas, which was a genius move on them. Oh yeah. And uh, I. You know these movies do business, and uh, obviously there's going to be a third one, even if this made half the money that it made right now, there'd be a third one. But uh, this is definitely going to join the billion dollar club. I, it, it's not going to make nearly as much as the previous Jurassic World, but the previous Jurassic World overdid every single expectation in the book. Like that movie broke the opening weekend record at the time, and everyone was like, "What? Jurassic World did that?" And yeah. it wasn't until Force Awakens came out later that year to where that changed that. But if there was no Star Wars movie that year. Jurassic World still has, well, you're not counting Infinity War. But if there was no, like, Star Wars movie that year, then throughout 2015 and 16 and 17, Jurassic World has that record, oh, which yeah. is crazy. Easy.
0: Yeah. yeah, but it's definitely going to join the Billion Dollar Club. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that.
1: Yes, and I also want to bring up Incredibles 2. Its domestic totals are at 440,601,275. And worldwide, it's made 648,848. Six hundred forty eight million eight hundred forty eight thousand seven hundred and sixty. Which for an animated movie that is doing fantastic, it has the chance to beat Finding Dory, which I don't have the exact numbers on it right now. But uh I know Finding Dory I think is the number one animated domestic movie. Mm-hmm. And uh I really think Incredibles two is gonna be able to pass that up and honestly I
0: think so too. But that that movie is just a lot of fun, and I know people were upset about it being released like almost fourteen years later. But it it it's definitely fun. And it lives
1: up to the hype and yeah. the weight. Yeah, it was well worth the wait. And it's it's at six hundred and forty eight million. If it has legs and it keeps going, there could be a chance that even this breaks billion worldwide. I mean, it'll be much later than Jurassic World. Yeah, but of course. But there's a chance that in its theatrical run, it might reach there. I'm gonna go ahead and make my prediction. I don't think it will. I think it may come in at around eight hundred. 850 but i don't see incredibles 2 breaking a billion what about you
0: uh i mean we can do our part and just keep buying movie tickets to (laughs) help get that up there um i don't think so either i mean it's definitely gonna make some more money that's for sure Mm -hmm. but i don't think
1: it's gonna break a billion yeah i don't either but hey stranger things have happened honestly All right, and uh, for this last part of the show, Ryan and I just want to talk about some movies that we saw this weekend and give little reviews. We're not going to do spoiler reviews because they've only been out for a little bit. The only reason we did Jurassic World is because that was a big movie, and everyone who wanted to see Jurassic World probably saw it that opening weekend. But uh, these are smaller movies that we saw, and we want to give our little mini reviews on them. Uh, The first one we're going to talk about is Sicario Day the Soldado, Sicario 2. Which And we watched the first one like the same day, like earlier in the day than we watched the second one. So we saw them back to back. And um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give my initial thoughts on the sequel and then I'll hand it over to Ryan. I thought it was a step down from the first movie, but I still thought it was a very well put together movie. I thought that Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin killed it. Their performances were so good. They really were the driving force of the movie, and the little girl's performance. There was a young actress, I her name is leaving me, but she is an important part of the movie, and her performance was actually extremely well done as well. And, you know, this movie sort of had an uphill battle, because it didn't have director Denis Villeneuve and cinematographer Roger Deakins like the last movie did, and there's two of the best working in the business, so obviously the movie's not going to look or feel as good as the first one, but it still, like, looked beautiful, and the direction was solid, and Taylor Sheridan returned to write the story, which is also very exciting because he's a wonderful talent. Although, ironically, as much as I love Taylor Sheridan, I thought that the story was probably the weakest part. It kind of went all over the place a little bit. I think the first half is stronger than the second half, and I wasn't a fan of like the last five minutes or so. I thought that was kind of unnecessary, in my opinion. And it'll all make more sense when you guys go out and actually see it. But overall, I recommend going to see it. I thought it was a very well-put-together movie, and it's intense. And, you know, the action sequences, they're not really for entertainment. They're more for shock value. But they're very well done. And I, and like I said, it's a step down, but I still really enjoyed it. What about you?
0: Yeah, I would have to agree that the first one is uh, better than the second one, but very, very close. Uh, if you haven't seen the first one, I highly recommend it before seeing the second one yeah. because you'll understand the characters more. Yes. And Benicio Del Toro is a terrifying character in yeah. this. Let yeah. me t- And he just... I think Josh Brolin and him have a very good chemistry when, when they're on screen together. They definitely play off of each other, and it tells, especially when they're in very intimate scenes, it's just like a few characters, or it's just them two talking, but I would have to agree that all the performances in the movie are solid, and I I, I too think that the last five minutes are, kind of throws me off of the movie, and it Almost pulls me away from it, but it's still a fantastic movie. I highly recommend seeing it. I I might actually even go back and watch it again, just because I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. uh, And if I if I'm not doing anything, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Also, it 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 was a good movie, and then I do agree the first one is is better. And I think it's partially just because it has such an amazing director, such an amazing cinematographer, and just the story was a little more to the point. Mm -hmm. This one gets a little bit complicated. But, uh, but yeah, overall, like, like we said, we really enjoyed it. And if you have nothing to do, go ahead and just go check out Sicario 2. But check out Sicario 1, yeah. which you can get on DVD, Blu-ray, all that good stuff. Which is
0: really interesting because earlier today I was uh, listening to something about the first Sicario movie. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how Emily Blunt, was the, her character, was the true antagonist mm-hmm. of the film. And listening to it was actually pretty interesting
1: Yeah, yeah, and and if you watch it, because the movie sets up, the first movie, Emily Blunt is not in the second movie, but in the first movie, it sets her up as the main character, but when you think about it, she is just the audience, and the main character is Benicio Del Toro, but you're watching it you're in the story from Emily Blunt's perspective. Yes. And when you think about it like that, it's it's a much more it even adds another layer to that movie that's really interesting.
0: And it's a really deep story too. Like yeah. it has multiple layers, which I really enjoyed as as you watch it and you pay attention to the dialogue and mm-hmm. her whole the whole reason she's with those two characters, how it's revealed and it it's a fantastic well-written script. Well, written story that, like I said, has multiple layers to it.
1: Yeah, and and each movie sort of has their own theme. Like, I think the first movie just had the basic theme of, like, drug cartels are messed up, and if you... And, like, just showing you, like, this is what they're capable of, this is what they do, and just sometimes to stop it, you have to do things... That are immoral. Yes, that are immoral, not by the books. And the movie was a good representation of that, where I think the second movie is sort of about the drug war and like terrorism and how border crossing can be a part of terrorism. And, but I think the main theme is like what the effect that this, that these drug wars have on children Mm -hmm. and how children are constantly thrown into the mix or grandfathered into being a part of it, which in both movies have characters that it keeps cutting to. And you're like, how's this going to tie in? But when it does, you're like, Oh, okay. And like, they kind of equally build on both sides of the movie.
0: Yeah, and going back to the first Sicario movie, uh, I don't think I talked to you about this, but I I would have to rank that as one of my top favorite movies, especially, like, the few end scenes whenever Benicio Del Toro comes up to the family. I won't say anything, but you know what I'm talking about. And then um, also his final confrontation with Emily Blunt Mm -hmm. and, like, their whole interaction. Yeah. It's just, it's great. And then the second one, it builds off of their characters even more. Yeah. And you kind of see who they really are because the first one it, it doesn't really talk about who they are and their mm-hmm. like character morals. It goes into Emily Blunt because, of course, like you said, the movie is shown through her perspective. But the second one definitely like builds off of their characters from the first one, and it's 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 good character development. I feel like
1: yeah, yeah, I agree. And the the first Sicario is great, and I have to watch that one more also. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, but that's our two cents on Sicario two. And another movie we saw this weekend that kind of a. Uh, was not okay for the heartstrings, and it's not playing in many theaters. So if you have to seek this movie out, I still highly, highly recommend this next movie, and it's called "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" and it is a documentary about Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers. I mean Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and that series, and how he just wanted to reach out to kids and sh- like talk to kids about real world problems, talk to kids about themselves and just reach into their hearts and know how to commu- A, know how to communicate with them, and B, know how to communicate to the parent that was sitting behind them watching the show. And I thought the documentary was extremely well done, and I thought that it's a beautiful, beautiful story about Fred Rogers, and it really just sort of peels back the layers. as the kind of man he was. What about you?
0: I would have to agree. I think that's by far the best documentary I've ever seen. Um, one thing that's really interesting is after the... And credits started going Mm -hmm. you just heard people like blowing their noses because they were crying. It's just sniffles. It is an amazing It it show it shows an amazing story about Fred Rogers and the type of man he was and he was just such a a pure honest kind-hearted man Mm -hmm. and he just wanted the best for everyone and like you said he wanted to get real-world problems real-world struggles to kids and wanted to explain them to kids at a level that they could understand mm-hmm. and that they would grow up learning from it and then bettering themselves and his most famous line is you are special yeah. which i thought those simple words can really go a long way especially with those problems that he brought up mm-hmm. and he made them feel better about themselves and then at the end be and and then at the end say you are special
1: i think that's great I agree and something that really sort of like kind of was speaking to me during the movie was the fact that he understood that kids have the same feelings as adults they just don't know how to articulate those feelings mm-hmm. and and throughout the the documentary and this isn't really a spoiler because it's you know it's a real story but throughout the documentary you see scenarios of him with a child getting them to reveal how they feel in front of adults and adults just being wild of like I I had no idea that that kid felt that way, or I had no, I had no idea that kids could say that they felt that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he even talks about, or his wife talks about growing up in a generation where you weren't allowed to be angry, and was, and how it was important to him to sort of let kids know, like, do you feel angry? Yeah. Why do you feel angry? And just sort of breaking it down and helping these kids. And, you know, and you see people as adults who watch the show just talking about how much he affected their lives. And, and you know, and like like we said amazing documentary and the the only thing i wish the documentary did is i was more curious about like fred rogers like upbringing like as a child growing up i mean you you get basic background information about him Mm -hmm. but i was hoping to sort of dive into his psyche more but i couldn't even really complain about it that much because the movie is just so pure and its message and talking about Fred Rogers. And I know it's early, but I think this will definitely be a contender for best documentary feature at the Academy Awards. I would have to agree with that. Um, but what would you walk
0: away from that documentary? Like what really stood out for you?
1: What stood out for me was probably just his overall accepting message and how, cause the movie, cause like obviously we live in a world that's very politically divided and he was a, for those of you who don't know, he's a Presbyterian minister, but he didn't want to wear the collar and talk to kids like he was preaching to them. He just wanted to talk to them as if they were a friend and he used puppets and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the dude was a, was a, was a preacher. And the fact that he was so accepting of everyone, you know, a, he was a registered Republican all his life. And he, like in the 60s, he, he hired the officer character to come on his show and put the feet in the pool with them. As a way of showing, like, because, like, at the time, you know, white people would put chemicals in the pool so black people wouldn't get in the pool. And he literally swam, you know, quote-unquote swam with a black person on his show. Mm -hmm. Just showing, like, the overall accepting message of, because, you know, and you say you're special. Something else he emphasized was, I love you just the way you are. And that's been something that's been a huge debate recently about, you know, what's the proper line of how, how, how do we let people know that while at the same time trying to make sure that they end up okay in our society and just the elemental he breaks it down on an element like an elementary level and that's the best way to understand it yeah so i think that's my biggest takeaway from it
0: yeah and going back to what you said about how we're very politically divided right now i don't know if you caught it but at the end there was a quote from one of the crew members who worked with uh fred rogers mm-hmm. And he said, we need a Mr. Rogers now, but there's no room for him, which I feel like is just a very strong, it's a strong sentence that carries a lot of weight because we do need someone now that just like Mm -hmm. accepts and loves people.
1: And I want to emphasize, like, I think this is both sides who are not accepting as much as they should be. Yes. And And, and and, that's what that quote carries weight with. Yeah. and, And I think that Mr. Rogers was the perfect man of just saying... We all need to accept each other. We all have differences. We all have similarities, mm. but we're all special. We all should be loved the way we are. Yeah. And we need to all live in coexistence, peaceful coexistence. Yeah.
0: And and that's why that quote really stuck out with me. Like, I I love that quote. Mm. And then also the uh, officer in that show, mm. uh, Francois Clemens. Yeah. Uh, there was also something else that he said that really stuck out to me. Mm. And it's, he he was talking about Fred Rogers and whenever he came out that he was gay and Mm -hmm. Fred Rogers knew or found out that he was gay, Mm -hmm. there was a part, I guess after they were done filming Mm -hmm. where Fred Rogers looked over at him and he's like, I love you. And he, Francois Clemens started to break down and like, he was like, it's so great to hear you say that. And Fred Rogers was like, I've been saying that to you for two years now and you listen to me today. Yeah. Like that's, that just shows you the type of person that mm-hmm. Fred
1: Rogers is, that he really cares about people, that he mm-hmm. loves people who, for who they are. Yeah. And, and like, and the crazy thing is, is like, because the character of Officer Clemens on the show, Mr. Rogers, like would scripted say, I love you just the way you are. And like, and that'd be the thing. And then when he told him that after the cameras were off, mm-hmm. he was like, are you talking to me? Or are you talking to the character? And that's when Fred said, I've been talking, I've been saying this to you for two years. Like, are you just now like getting what I was saying? Yeah. And what made it even more sad is the guy on, in his interview started to break down saying, my father, my stepfather, no like man in my life who could be a potential role model to me had ever told me that they loved me the way I was. And Fred was the first person to do that. Mm-hmm. And th- there's something so pure and magical about that. And I think that if everyone needs their daily dose of positivity, and go watch, won't you be my neighbor?
0: It is, like we said, it's fantastic, and it should be up for an Oscar. Like like we like you said, it's early. It's a little too early
1: to predict that, but it is
0: that well.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think that'll be it for us today on the third episode of the Movie Nights podcast. Uh, I'm Dalton Reddett. I'm Ryan Warner. And uh, before we go, we're gonna go ahead and plug our social media for a bit. Ryan, can you please tell the good people where they can find us?
0: Yeah, so we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Facebook is just Movie Nights. Um, Our Instagram is going to be Nights with a K underscore movie. And then our Twitter is going to be at Nights underscore movie. So go ahead and hit us up with a follow to keep up with all the news related to Movie Nights. Yes,
1: and all of the Movie Nights stuff is with a K, Movie Nights. I just wanted to point that out because we're going to get some confused people. (laughs) But uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we hope you have a great week.